Is it okay? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark, for that wonderful welcome, and it's great to be back at Cambridge. Before I go any further, I just need to, to pay tribute to two individuals I've worked really closely with over the past decade. Uh, Mark Durand, who is an absolute star at what he does, and, and Shai, Enterprise Tuesday, Center for Entrepreneurial Learning. You've been the driving force of this, uh, and I don't think any of us here could thank you enough. So I think a huge round of applause for that. So um, I've got about 40 minutes in which um, I will try to stick to, to share the story of, of building a brand from scratch. And uh, one of my favorite sayings is that good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes, and I will be as open as I can about the mistakes and share them with you on this journey. Um, and then I will take questions. And you, by the way, you can ask me questions about Parliament or anything uh, uh, as well when we go through the Q&A. And I've got boldness in business and in brands we trust. Uh, the Duke of Wellington, this is the 200th anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo. Apologies to anyone from France over here. Um, and the Duke of Wellington, this was his, his motto, you know, fortune favors the bold, fortune favors the brave. And, I, and um, I know I'm mentioning the name of another university here, but yeah, I, I've been going to Harvard Business School for 13 years, every year. And every time I go there, I just realize they tried to copy us here. And for a start, it's based in Cambridge. Next, it's founded by Harvard, who was at Emmanuel College. So it always feels a bit new to me. It's less than 400 years old. Uh, and when I graduated from my course over there in executive education, uh, we had one of their famous professors, Professor Clay Christensen, who came to give us a talk. Two sections, 180 of us in the room. Uh, and he came, have any of you heard of Professor Clay Christensen? Yeah, one of the greatest business thinkers in the world. Giant man. He spent some time here at Oxford. Um, and 6'8", walked into the lecture hall, and he said, before I start, I just need to explain, I've been very ill. I had cancer, I beat the cancer, and then I got a stroke. And I've just recovered from the stroke. And this is the first lecture I'm giving after my illness. And the stroke didn't affect my movements, as you can see, but it affected my brain in a way that when I speak, I sometimes can't find the words. If that happens in this lecture, he said to us, please shout out the words. It might save some time. You know, we had to shout out the words several times. And at the end of that talk, he was in tears, and we were in tears. And it's a talk I wish I'd heard earlier in my life. I wish I'd heard when I was in your place. Because what he said in his talk was very simple, two messages. He said, have you ever stopped and thought, what is the purpose of my life? And I ask you that question, have you thought, what is the purpose of my life? And linked to that, how will you measure your life? It's a very personal question. It's a very individual question. You know, some of you may want to build a billion dollar business. Maybe nurture a great family. Maybe do great charitable work. Whatever it is, it's an individual question. And I leave that thought with you. 
The journey of uh, entrepreneurship, I believe, is about aspiration, wanting to actually do something, get somewhere. It's about being inspired, hopefully inspiring yourself. And the last one, there is no shortcut to it. Every single entrepreneur I know, it's been really hard. It's been tough. Um, the idea itself, by the way, can be very simple. Mark uh, alluded to it. In my case, uh, I came here as a student from India. I hated the fizzy lagers that I was presented with. They were undrinkable, gassy, fizzy, harsh, bland, bloating, awful. I mean, just, and with food, even worse. I go to Indian restaurants. I couldn't cook when I came here. And with Indian food, spicy food, you want something cold and refreshing, you drink one of these lagers. Well, fizzy lager and spicy food, uncomfortable. Real ale. How many of you drink real ale here? Real ale? Bitter? I love the stuff. I love it. I took an instant liking to it when I was introduced to it by an English friend. I loved it in a pub, but I hated drinking ale with food. I found the ale too heavy and too bitter. And that's when I thought, what if I produce a beer which has the refreshment of a lager and the smoothness of an ale combined that will be drinkable with a rounded, balanced taste, not too sweet, not too bitter, not too heavy, not too light, and appeal to people from all over the world, appeal to men and women alike, and go with all food, and in particular, Indian food. I mean, that's a really simple idea. Why didn't somebody think of that before? I mean, the beer industry is thousands of years old. And so the idea itself can be very, very simple. And this is one thing. Every entrepreneur, I believe, has to have this. We, when we started our business, my partner Arjun Reddy and I, we drove up to Leeds, we took the train up to Leeds, to meet somebody who'd been to my school in India and had become a very successful entrepreneur in Leeds. And he said, come and see me, I'll give you some advice. We just started in business. I'll never forget this journey from the railway station in Leeds to his house. As we drive past, I own that house, I own those two houses, I own half that street, I own the whole of that street. He'd built up a portfolio of hundreds of property, properties in Leeds, which he was renting out to the university for student accommodation, and he'd become a multimillionaire. And we sat in his kitchen, and he said, you know, I've nearly lost my business, I nearly went bankrupt. And I've realized with successful entrepreneurs, there's one common quality, and it's one word, guts. One, they have the guts to do it in the first place. Secondly, they have the guts to stick with it when others will give up. And I've nearly lost my business three times, and I've never forgotten, and I can picture that conversation in his kitchen, in his fabulous house in Leeds all these years later. It is invariably against all the odds. You know, we had giant beer brands in the marketplace with tens of millions of, of marketing expenditure. Kingfisher, the biggest beer brand in India today, 50% market share in India. Kingfisher had been here for eight years before we started. They were brewing in the UK for five years before we started. Carlsberg was in every Indian restaurant. And of course, nobody thinks you stand a chance. Your own family are there saying, please, don't do it. <laughs> My father had become commander-in-chief of the Central Indian Army. I gave a talk here once to the high flyers of IBM. And I asked them, I said, how many employees do you have in IBM? They said, 350,000. My father's army, the Central Army, had 350,000 troops. And when I was developing the product in Bangalore, I'd go up and see my father 
my parents in this fabulous mansion, command house. And dad, isn't this great? My own beer company, my own brand, my own business. What are you doing? <laughs> All this education. You're becoming an import-export walla. <laughs> Get a proper job. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, and they do it with the best of intentions. Of course, once Cobra started to succeed, my father was my biggest fan. <laughs> um, it is against the grain. I've, there are two books that I've written. One is Bottled for Business, and the one, other one is Against the Grain. I'm not promoting my book, but I do in these books share my stories of how I built a business, and they are unique. You know, but the title, Against the Grain, most entrepreneurs will go where others will not dare to go. It will be against the grain. They will, invariably, Michael Porter of Harvard Business School has a five forces market entry analysis which you're meant to go before you even dare to enter a market. Yeah, if I had tried these tests when I started Cobra, yeah, industry rivals, threat of new entrants, threat of substitute products, bargaining power buyers, bargaining power suppliers, I would have failed every one of them. So from a business school point of view, I shouldn't even have started. My family's point of view, I shouldn't even have started. And yet you go out there and you do it. To start, you've got to cross this, which is the credibility gap. Everyone, if anyone here already started their own business, I'm sure there are some, yeah, you will identify with this. When you start your business, you have zero credibility. Nobody knows you, nobody knows your brand, nobody knows your product. Why should somebody, in my case, as Mark said, 20,000 pounds in student debt, in my 20s, no experience in the beer industry other than drinking it. Why should anyone have supplied me or financed me or bought from me in that position? And they do it if you have complete and utter faith, confidence, passion, and belief in your idea and in yourself and in your brand. And that gives people the faith and the confidence to trust you to give you a chance. And the best example of that that I can think of is when the beer was ready and produced in Bangalore bottled, loaded in the P&O container to be shipped to Britain. The brewery in India was really excited. They took out an ad in the national newspapers in India saying, Coles to Newcastle, exporting beer from India to England. I didn't have the money to pay the owner of the brewery for the beer. He lent me the money to pay him for the beer. <laughs> because by then, I crossed this credibility gap, and he trusted me and had faith in me. And to this day, we're the closest of family friends. You have to have some things in your favor. We did a lot of research when we started, huge amounts of research, and we were in the midst of a recession, but we did have this, that this country was being converted from ale to lager, and Cobra, that's in between a lager and ale, is technically um, a lager. And you can see this now, that we are very much a lager drinking company, like, country like everywhere in the world. Um, the other huge factor in my favor was this growth of Indian restaurants where, how many of you eat Indian food regularly? Come on, it's just about everybody. And so I said, this is great because a favorite drink with Indian food is lager beer. So I had these two things in my favor. Um, our strategy, Mark Durand is a world expert in strategy. He teaches strategy. Uh, what was my strategy? Well, I can assure you it was not textbook business school strategy. Part of it was blue ocean strategy. Uh, 
Do you know what that means? Yes, blue ocean strategy. So blue ocean strategy, best example of blue ocean strategy that I can think of is somebody I know who is called Guy de la Libertaire, who's a Canadian, French-Canadian. And he was a street performer. And he came up with this idea of something that sits in between a circus and a musical and theater and gymnastics and ballet and a musical Cirque du Soleil. All those things existed, but that particular concept did not exist, blue ocean. Cobra is exactly the same example. Beers existed forever, but nobody thought of doing what I did with the beer. So I call it a blue ocean strategy product in the idea. But how do you implement that idea is what I call breakthrough strategy. So when I started, I had no money, I had debt. I couldn't even afford beer glasses. You know, every beer has a branded beer glass. Couldn't even afford to give glasses with my beer. Our only form of marketing was a folded table tent card, which we'd put on the restaurant tables in green and black printing because I couldn't afford full color. Forget millions of pounds of television advertising that my competitors were doing. And I realized that if I tried to get on the supermarket shelves, even with brilliant salesmanship, I may have been able to do it. But my product would have gathered dust because there was no advertising, no awareness of the product. I said, how do I get people to know my product? The best way is if I get it on the restaurant tables. If I can get my beer on the restaurant tables, the brand is there, the bottle is there, the big double-sized bottles, people will then discover my product. And then when I've built up some volume, I will get it on the supermarket shelves. And then I will get it into the pubs and the bars. And then I will export it around the world. And that's what we did. It was a breakthrough strategy. And sure enough, we put it on the restaurant tables, and people discovered it and loved it. And it built up by word of mouth. And eventually, I could do beer glasses. And eventually, I could do advertising. And now it's in almost every supermarket. It's in 98.6% of the Indian restaurants. And it's now increasing in the pubs and bars. And we export to about 40 countries around the world and manufacture in three countries, in India and Belgium and over here in the UK. But it all started with that breakthrough strategy on the Indian restaurant tables. And I'll always be grateful to the Indian restaurateurs, the curry restaurateurs, by the way, two thirds of whom are Bangladeshi, um, who supported me and gave me that chance. Our recipe to create this taste had to be very, very complex. Uh, most beers, like a, a boring German beer, sorry, I didn't mean that, a German beer, um, has water, yeast, malted barley, and hops. That's it. With us, to achieve this taste and texture, we had to do all that, plus four varieties of hops, and wheat, and maize, and rice, and a complicated recipe, which makes it what it is. And you know, I love it. I'm, I'm boasting a bit here, but yesterday I took a cab from going to the British Library where I saw the four Magna Cartas together. It's the 800th anniversary of Magna Carta. It was amazing, a surreal experience. And they're going to be in Parliament on Thursday for us to see there as well. And I went for a dinner. And as I got out of the taxi, the taxi driver said, I just want to tell you, I love your beer. Thank you very much. Today, on the way to Cambridge, we stopped to fill up some petrol at a petrol station. As I went to pay for the petrol, somebody just came and said, I can't leave. I'm sorry. I just want to thank you for bringing Cobra out. Now, it's because of this. It is just genuinely a lovely, wonderful product, and I'm very proud of it. Um, this is another thing they'll never teach you about in business school. Yeah, luck. Mark Durand, is a, is a, he has taught the word serendipity. And you know what serendipity is? 
People say serendipitous, fortuitous, lucky. And the best way I can paraphrase, and Mark, you can correct me later if I'm wrong, is serendipity is seeing what everyone else sees, but thinking what no one else has thought. And one of the best definitions of luck that I've ever heard, one of my YPO friends, is when determination meets opportunity. See, because those opportunities, I see them like waves going past you. And you can catch any one of those waves if you're determined to. Otherwise, the waves will just keep going past you. And that determination opportunity, look at the luck that I had. When I started Cobra, we were actually importing polo sticks as our first business venture. The beer idea was a big idea, I parked it. Importing polo sticks, we imported, um, you know, you, I shared the platform with Jimmy Wales, the founder of Wikipedia. And he and I both said the same thing unprompted. Same thing. One, you've got to have the guts to go into business. And when you do, you never give up. On the other hand, you've got to know when to give up. Completely contradictory. Of course, he was absolutely right. Because if you've got an idea like Cobra, and I knew from day one when I started getting those regular reorders from the restaurants, that's it. This product is working. I just have to extrapolate it into a global beer brand. Whereas the other products I tried to do, we were given the agency for Bombay dyeing towels, bath towels. In India, Bombay dyeing is a household name. We thought it was a license to print money. This is it, we're made. We couldn't sell one towel. The quality wasn't good enough, and the towels from Portugal next door were cheaper and better quality. Forget it, non-starter, you've got to know when to give up. Pearls, I'm from Hyderabad in India. Anyone who goes to Hyderabad, you buy pearls. Hyderabad is famous for pearls. We'll make pearls, Hyderabadi pearls, famous in England. My partner went to do a pearl course. We couldn't sell a single string of pearls. The Japanese pearls were much better quality and much cheaper. And I don't know when to give up. So where luck is concerned, we were going to import seafood from India. That was our next big idea. And we went to see our mentor. And it's very important to have a mentor when you start in business. And our business mentor was my partner's uncle, Uncle Keshav. We went to see him in his flat in Edgware Road. And he was an amazing man. He was a businessman who worked around the world. He'd lost both his legs through diabetes. Every time we walked into that study of his, big grin. Hello, boys. Sit down. Tell me about your problems. Oh, Uncle Keshav, we run out of money again. All right, all right. Pick up the phone. Come on, go and meet so-and-so. And he'd just cheer us up and encourage us. Uncle Keshav, we want to import seafood from India. You won't believe this. Boys, just yesterday, one of my best friends from India was here, and they've opened up a new seafood factory in Cochin in South India. And he said, if you know anyone who wants to import seafood, please put them in touch with us. He couldn't find the brochures. He said, I'll send them to you. Next day, the brochures arrived. Pals Seafood. I said, why does that sound familiar? Pals Seafood. Back of it, Pals Seafood, a division of Mysore breweries, brewers of the famous Pals beer. Arjun, forget the seafood. This is my beer idea. Uncle Keshav, we're not interested in seafood anymore. Would they be interested in exporting beer to us? And we got in touch with them, and they were very interested in exporting beer. And they'd never exported beer before. Luck. They were the biggest independent brewery in India. Luck. They were hugely successful. Luck. They had the best brewmaster in India, Dr. Karepa, who'd spent six years in Prague in the Czech Republic and had a PhD in their biochemists. Best brewmaster, dynamic, young, enthusiastic. Luck. Pals. 
The bear brand that I knew in the Indian Army messes is the name of a dog food here. <laughs> Their biggest selling brand was Knockout. One boxer having knocked out another on the label. 8% strength. Not what we wanted. They said, we'll do it under your own brand name. Just think of the luck. If they'd had a suitable brand name, I wouldn't be here talking to you. I would have just been an agent, a distributor, an importer. Our most valuable asset is our Cobra Beer brand. Luck. I've got my eight P's of building a business. And uh, the Institute of Marketing is a partner in this event. So I'm very careful about making sure that product, you've got to have a great product. In our case, award-winning, very proud, distinctive. It's got to be different and better. Price, appropriate to your product. Ours is a very premium product, so it's very expensive. It's always one of the more expensive beers on the shelf. But you can have a value-for-money product. Our wine is a house wine, so it's a value-for-money wine. Place, you've got to have the best product at the right price, but no good unless it's available. So in our case, Indian restaurants, supermarkets, pubs and bars, exports. And you've got to promote it, sales, marketing. I started with table 10 cards. Now it's all around marketing. OK, so those are the four P's of marketing. Institute of Marketing, I've done my job. So these are the classic four P's of marketing. My extra four P's of building a business. People, the most important thing. I did a case study on Jack Welsh at GE. You know that man in 20 years built what was already a great company into an even greater company. And what he did in 20 years, I mean, the thing is, when you see the films of him every three or five, you see how he ages from 45 to 65 in those 20 years. But what he achieved was amazing. And every time he did these interviews and these films that I saw of him, he kept talking about people, people, people. And he's famous for firing the bottom 10% of his people. What he should be famous is what he did with the other 90% of the people and how he worked with them. And it was all about his over 300,000 people, why GE is still one of the biggest companies in the world today. Finance spelled PH. <laughs> and I, I could give you a whole talk about just raising finance. I mean, raising finance is a huge challenge in building a business um, and trying to preserve your equity. Uh, and and I, again, in the Q&A, we can discuss, discuss this. Passion, I do believe this is absolutely crucial that you've got to be passionate about what you do. You've got to really believe in it. And finally, there's no point doing any of this unless it's profitable. So those are my eight Ps of building a business. Creativity. How many of you in this room, be honest, please, with yourselves and with me, how many of you think you're creative? Let me see. That's less than half the room. OK. I was told when, when I was a child, Karen, you are not creative. So she told that. You are useless at art. You can't draw to save your life. You're tone deaf. You're useless at music. You're good at your academics. Stick with it. And all through my life, I went through thinking my childhood that I was not creative. And when I started my business, I realized that the most important skill that I had was the ability to be creative. And it had been suppressed throughout my childhood. Those of you who didn't put your hands up, I can assure you every one of you has the ability to be creative. And if you have that confidence, it just needs to be unleashed. I worked at Ernst & Young. <laughs> Isn't it an accounting 
creative accounting is a negative term. <laughs> uh, you know, at Ernst & Young, I remember, looking back on it, the number of my colleagues who would have made brilliant entrepreneurs, well, they became senior partners, they succeeded in their profession, but their creative part was never unleashed. Innovation linked to that, I think, is absolutely key in your business, constant innovation. And I can give you example example, and of course, advertising, which I will give you some examples of. So when we repackaged Cobra, this is what we did. And we came up with an innovative way. I said, I want an iconic look of no other beer brand must look like us and do what we've done. And they got the inspiration where they said, this product is becoming a household name. This is about 10 years ago. I mean, now we are a household name. At that time, we were emerging as a household name. And this has come from nowhere. And what's amazing is the story of Cobra. And they said, why don't we depict the story as icons on the bottle. And they got the inspiration from Roman and Greek and Persian columns where frieze and sculpture tells a story. And there is no other consumer product in the world that we know of that tells their story visually as part of their packaging. And it's now become an iconic part of Cobra. So that's an example of being innovative. Uh, this was our first advertising campaign created by Saatchi and Saatchi. Uh, this was our spokesperson, curryholic Dave, the beer from Bangalore that lets you eat more curry. Uh, the beer curryholics adore, it lets them eat more. The less gassy, more classy curryholics beer. I could go on. <laughs> Very successful. It really, and that was our old packaging. Do you, see, do you see that old packaging there and there? The transformation. I mean, this is a classic boring beer bottle, you know, front label, back label, neck label. And then we started our first TV campaign. <laughs> that, that was created by, by Saatchi's for us. And I remember very clearly when they were going to go out to India, they said, oh, we better show you the budget before you go out. Um, and luckily, I was sitting down. A million dollars. So what? A million dollars? What, what? That's just to make the commercial? They said, yeah, yeah. And then we've got to pay more to show it on cinema and TV. And yeah, Stella, Guinness, they all oh, you're a small company. When we're out in India, we'll make two ads for you, two for the price of one. Very generous of you. Oh, you know, uh, have you maybe just thought that Bollywood produces more films than Hollywood? Oh, hadn't thought of that. That India has a highly developed commercial advertising industry. Oh, the quality would be terrible. I said, leave it to us. We found top director, top producer. Two people flew out from Saatchi and Saatchi, and we produced two commercials for a fraction of a million dollars. And that's why I think one of the things you've got to think global from the time you start your business, whatever your business. And this is not outsourcing, it's right sourcing. A win for British creativity, Saatchi's, a win for Indian production, India, and a win for Cobra beer. So it is doable. Branding. India's just had the largest elections the world has ever known, over 800 million voters last year in May. Completely uh, electronic, by the way, and computer. Brilliantly organized. I mean, I've seen it in action. Uh, we still have manual voting over here, 7th of May. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. Now, in India, a lot of the voting over the, has always been done by signs. Even now, you go for that computerized voting, next to each button is the symbol. It's the brand. And so branding is, is absolutely whatever in life, it's, it's really important. Um, in India, they have these cigarettes called beedis, which are made out of leaves filled with tobacco, the cheapest form of cigarettes. Even the beedis, you walk, drive past villages, you'll see the beedi brands being painted on the walls, advertising the brands of the BDs. Uh, so brands are prevalent 
right across the board. So what's in a name? Cobra? Yeah, we can talk about that in the Q&A. Budweiser. What does that mean? Carlsberg. Does it, does it really matter what a name is? On the other hand, Google. Does it help Google that it's called Google and not the best search engine, da, da, da? On the other hand, ASOS, as seen on screen. What a ASOS, it's a very successful company. So what's in a name? When you reposition a brand and you evolve a brand over the years, you, know, you don't necessarily have to be revolutionary about it. You can be evolutionary. So we went from that bottle you saw to the bottle. Even changing the band around the bottom, you can just evolve the brand. The logo you can see on the left there, moving to the logo here, which has since moved on as well. And I've seen this brands like, say, Sharwood's going back over 100 years, or Budweiser going over 100 years. And you can trace and see that the character of the brand stays all the way through a century. And you don't lose that, but you can evolve it. Um, we started doing sponsoring films. And um, I, these are five seconds on either side of a commercial break, accompanying a blockbuster film. We did this on ITV for three years. Now, these were all made by young British filmmakers. And we had a competition. In fact, today I was near the Curzon Cinema in Mayfair, where we had the Cobra Vision Awards. And it was encouraging young British filmmakers to show their films on mainstream TV. The only rule was no Cobra in the films. The Cobra was in the frame, and a huge success. Now, is that a better way than just doing a product shot and a jingle afterwards? And we're very proud to have done that. Um, which leads on to not just being the best in the world, but also the best for the world, not just what you do, but how you do it. We, when we started our foundation 10 years ago, this will be the 10th anniversary of the Cobra Foundation, I was shocked to see how few companies in this country actually have their own charitable foundation. And we've been doing it from day one. We've been giving beer away free of charge for charitable events. We have supported over 170, 170 charities in this country. Some of them year after year after year. The Lord Mayor of London has an, a curry lunch in the Guild Hall, the medieval hall. Over 1,000 people come, raising money for the soldiers' charity, the Army Benevolent Fund. Cobra has provided thousands of pounds worth of beer every single year for that since it started. One of the big competitions between, you know how we call Oxford the other place. Uh, in the House of Lords, we call the House of Commons the other place. And we have lots of competitions between the other place and us. And Mark's come and seen us in the rowing competition where we row. Uh, oh, we can have some fun with that. Uh, we, we beat the Commons this year, last year. And they're both capsized at the end. And when I told Lord Melvin Bragg, we walked in with a trophy afterwards, I said, Melvin, Melvin, we won. And the House of Commons both capsized afterwards. He said, a bonus. <laughs> so um, anyway, so we have these competitions. But the biggest competition is the tug of war between the two. Uh, one year I was a captain, we won because I had Lord Digby Jones, my friend, as the anchor, former head of the CBI. Um, and you know, so we invariably get beaten by the Commons in the tug of war, but it's for good cause. We raise money for Macmillan's cancer. Over 600 people attend this event, and Cobra Beer has provided the beer for that every single year for years and years and years, thousands of pounds worth of beer. And we raise 150,000 pounds for Macmillan's cancer every year. And the same with the Soldiers' Charity, over 150,000 pounds, Lord Mayor's Curry Lunch, every year. And our latest project is this. I shared the platform with the chief executive, Blue Water, which is now many, many Michelin-starred restaurants, top hotels, even parliament, all the water is Blue Water. And the reason for the success of Blue Water is that we found that 
100% of the profits of Blue Water, 100% go to WaterAid. So now we have produced Cobra Foundation Blue Water, which we supply to the Indian restaurants, and the money comes, the profits come from Baloo to the Cobra Foundation, and we donate 100% of the profits to WaterAid for sanitation and clean water projects in South Asia. I don't make a penny out of it, but I love doing it. And this is the beauty of being able to do something like this. Uh, and we talk about social enterprise, people plan of profits, corporate social responsibility. You can talk all these things, doing it is another thing. Brands and politics. Uh, well, uh, a bit disappointing, but anyway, that was his branding. Um, new Labour, complete change of a party and its identity. Um, if it hadn't been for Iraq, you know, the legacy of Tony Blair. And city branding, we all know Big Apple, New York. So branding in every facet of our lives. I gave you the examples in India, politics. And this is another example. So, you can have fun with brands as well. Um, so what makes an extraordinary brand? When we did our joint venture with Molson Coors a few years ago, we had this secret meeting in Heathrow at an obscure hotel. Uh, and we had this meeting and we said, now how are we going to integrate these two companies? They said, before we start anything, we want to just tell you, Karen, you have an extraordinary brand. Well, thank you for the compliment. So, no, no, no. At Molson Coors, we have six criteria to fulfill to be qualified as what we call an extraordinary brand. So here they are. First, extraordinary brand tells a compelling story built on an undeniable brand truth. The example here is Guinness, which is a great brand. In our case, that undeniable brand truth is the extra smooth, less gassy taste. Extraordinary brands live by and refuse to compromise on their principles. IKEA is the example. I hope it's come across in my talk about Cobra. Industry recognizable, iconic look. We've talked about that with Cobra. The example here is Absolute Vodka. Deliver unique, relevant, and consistent experience. Here at Starbucks, every time you have your Starbucks, you expect it to taste the same. Every time you have a Cobra bottle, it's a natural process, but you as a consumer expect it to taste exactly the same. Not easy when you're producing millions and millions and hundreds of millions of bottles a year. Inspire people to become loyal brand champions. This is the most difficult one. This is the one you've made it as a brand when if a consumer goes in wants Cobra beer and the restaurant doesn't have it, or is out of stock, or doesn't sell it. You're disappointed. That's how much it means to you. And finally, there's no point doing any of this unless you make extraordinary profits. And we ticked all of those boxes except this one when we did the joint venture. And now I'm, we have all six boxes ticked. We've won 78 gold medals. I'm boasting, I'm boasting, but I'm proud of it. Uh, one of the most award-winning beers in the world. The only one that wins more than us, by the way, is Sam Adams in Boston because they bring out seasonal beers, which we don't do. The boldness to adapt or die, before I conclude. I've nearly lost my business three times, and the last time was five and a half years ago, when the credit crunch, subprime crisis, credit crunch, financial crisis, Great Recession, sovereign debt crisis, Eurozone crisis, and it carries on today. We didn't see it coming. We were highly geared. I'd hired the wrong management team, and we nearly lost it all. We were forced to go into a sale process by the hedge fund that was our major investor at the time. And luckily, the sale didn't result in a sale, but in a joint venture with Milson Coors, one of the largest brewers in the world. 
which has been working extremely well in the last five years. It was a horrible, painful process, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone. But that nearly fell apart when we had a company voluntary arrangement with 90% of our creditors agreeing. And on the 22nd of May, I'll never forget the date, one of our creditors tried to put us into administration, and the CVA was called off. We could have lost everything on that day. What do you do? Adapt or die. And we came up with another way. We did a prepack administration, and we were able to save the company in an open, transparent way, competing with other bidders. We could have been outbid. I could have lost the company in the next week. We won the bid, saved the brand, saved the company, employees, shareholders, and I've committed to paying off the creditors over the course of the joint venture. So adapt or die. Shared values are very important, and that's why the joint venture now is working so well. Finally, this is what it's all about. Our mission was to brew the finest ever Indian beer and make it a global beer brand. Well, I think we produce the finest ever Indian beer by far. I'm boasting, but I'm proud of it. Global beer brand, 40 countries, nowhere near a global beer brand. We're on our way to doing that, and we can measure our success. The vision is our attitude, and I think this underlies what it's all about. And I borrowed this from my great-grandfather, who was a member of the equivalent of the House of Lords in India. His motto was to aspire and achieve, and it's on my coat of arms when I joined the House of Lords to aspire and achieve. And we added to aspire and achieve against all odds with integrity, because that is really the definition of entrepreneurship. You come up with an idea, you want to get somewhere with the idea, you've got all the odds stacked against you, you've got little or no means, and you go out there and you make it happen, and you do it with integrity. And hopefully the sky's the limit when you do it. Thank you very much. <laughs>